What's up, folks? It's Reggie, welcoming you back to part three of our Pokemon retrospective, where we're taking a look back at what shaped the series into what it is today. If you haven't already, go check out parts one and two, links below, where we covered the origins and the development of the current Pokemon battle system. Today, though, we're going to focus in on one of the most controversial generations of Pokemon as we look back at the development of Pokemon Black and White, the soft reboot. In episode one, we introduced the father of Pokemon, Satoshi Tajiri, and the rise of his company, Game Freak. But he wasn't the only one at its inception. Junichi Masada was also there from day one. Masada was a lot like Tajiri in childhood. He spent his vacations fishing and catching bugs on the island of Kyushu. But unlike Tajiri, Masada found his first love in school, where he picked up the trombone, which just so happened to be my instrument in middle school. He would become hooked on music, collecting all sorts of classics and studying the greats. It wasn't just those, but it'd take me all day to list all of his musical interests. Like many who loved art though, Masuda doubted that he could make a career of it, so he studied programming in college. When he got out, Tajiri's Game Freak had just shifted its focus to game development, and Masuda was hired not just for his computer skills, but also his love of music as Game Freak's first composer. From the very beginning with Game Freak's first game, Quinty, Masuda would be the lead composer. So when it was time for the development of Pokemon, of course Masuda was right back in the composer's chair, also helping a bit with programming on the side. After its massive success, Masuda was handpicked by Tajiri as a subdirector of the follow-up titles, Gold and Silver. And when it was time for Tajiri to step down, he fully handed Masuda the title of director. Masuda would go on to create the Hoenn region based on his childhood in, in Kyushu, much like Tajiri did with the Kanto region. I don't need to remind you, but Generation 3 and 4, once again, massive hits, and cemented Masuda's place in the franchise outside of just music. To Shiny Hunters, the name Masuda is pretty familiar, as he's the king for the implementation of the Masuda method, a feature he added in Gen 4 to help promote global trade. If you didn't know, the Masuda method massively increased the chance of breeding a Shiny when breeding Pokemon from two different real-world regions. Back to the topic we jumped to Masuda touring for the release of Generation 4. Masuda would take heavy inspiration from the architecture and people of New York City. He picked out things like the Brooklyn Bridge and Central Park and experienced fans of Pokemon who came from various races and walks of life. He took these back with him when he sat down to create the Unova region based almost directly on New York City. This would be the first time a Pokemon region was based outside of Japan and they take it a step further to differentiate from the previous titles. Masuda wanted to recapture the feeling of the first Pokemon games, and to do that, he made the most controversial decision before Sword and Shield's exit, which was the removal of all previous generation Pokemon until the post-game. Players were forced to work with 156 never-before-seen Pokemon to progress, putting experienced players on the same level as brand new fans of the series. At the same time, older players were considered throughout development, as Masuda felt a need to age up the series up with the fans who started the explosion of the Pokemon franchise in the first place. Pokemon designs were meant to be less cute and more cool, which would give way to more sharp-edged designs, and a more meaningful story was implemented to appeal to older players. The design of this world took on a much more modern feel than previous titles. The urban-based setting would lend itself not only to world design, but it would go on to influence Pokemon designs and even NPCs, 
ultimately helping bring about the theme of Generation 5, opposites working together. This culminated in the box art legends, Reshiram and Zekrom, representing truth and ideals respectively. Pokemon like Pidove take obvious inspiration from the pigeons rampant in the city, while Watchog is clearly derivative of crossing guards. Now we could go on and on about these designs, but they did stir a lot of controversy at the time for what we should call uninspired design, at least according to some. Take Chandelure and Kling Clang, for example, literal chandeliers and gears. I'm not even gonna touch Vanillish, but I'll mention that it was designed by Pokemon's first Western designer, James Turner. Just know that there was definitely a lot of thought going into these Pokemon, whether you think they look like Digimon or not. Back to NPCs, they would finally have varying skin tones, inspired by the mixed salad New York represented. They went a step further, introducing the series' first black gym leader and first female professor, the latter courtesy of the legend himself, Kensugi Mori. Coming from Japan's nearly 98% homogenous population, this was a massive step in modernizing Pokemon and including just that much more representation. Many features like rotation battles and triple battles were added to create more variety, although Gen 5 was the only place they would be seen. Like Gold and Silver introduced day and night cycles, Black and White would introduce seasons, which would further change how you interacted with the environment, as well as certain in-game events. But probably the most unprecedented aspect of Generation 5 were the sequels. As of now, Black and White are the only games to feature direct sequels as opposed to a third version, like Yellow or Crystal, with Pokemon Black and White 2. Like all Pokemon games, Generation 5 sold insanely well, and to this day, Black and White remain the fastest DS titles to sell 5 million copies. Critical reception was mostly through the roof, but the Pokemon community seemed pretty on the fence at the time. The exclusion of previous Pokemon was pretty off-putting to some, while the designs were hit or miss depending on who you talk to. A young Reggie went so far as to not complete Generation 5 for many years out of sheer hatred for, you guessed it, Pokemon like Vanillish, and I still hate it. But over the years, sentiment has changed significantly, including mine. From where I stand, the Pokemon community has made a huge turnaround in their attitude towards Generation 5. Many of its Pokemon are some of the competitive scene's biggest threats, and looking back, it's the same kind of game that players like myself are asking for now. A fresh start gave rise to a whole new learning experience for everyone, pros and new players alike. We often talk about Generation 5 as a reboot of the franchise, but I think it was more of a reboot of the player base than the game itself. Not much really changed at the heart of Pokemon, but we were all forced to look at the world of Pokemon through a new, unfamiliar lens. So if you haven't already, go play a Generation 5 game before the remakes eventually come out. A lot of people will tell you that it's only downhill from there, but I'll save that for next time because we're going to talk about what I like to call the gimmick generation of Pokemon. So leave a comment down below about why you love or hate Gen 5, like, subscribe, ring the bell, all that YouTuber stuff I'm supposed to say, and I'll see you next week. Peace.